So uh, thanks for the clock, guys. Uh, this is my little, this is supposed to look like a mountainside, okay? So it's kind of like that, you know, Jesus and he's teaching and we're out in the, out in the Galilee, you know what I mean? And we're up on a hillside and that sort of thing. So I actually, I, I didn't know if you knew Eric Lee, but I actually do have hiking shoes. I just want you to know that, okay? But this would be like if I went hiking and I found this perfect little spot where I could just sort of park and talk, okay? Got it? All right, so what I want to do is I want to welcome you to our series on Empowered. And what Empowered is about, real simply, is becoming like the disciples in that the disciples became those people that bore fruit a hundredfold, right? These are people that there are literally billions of people throughout the ages that have come to Christ. And not only because, but primarily because of 12 people who went out and shared it. And it came to something, and then that came to something, and then that, and, and here we are today. We're sitting here, most of us sit here today because of what those 12 people did, right? So as we're doing this Empowered series, something happened to me on Tuesday that was pretty interesting. I went out, and I was praying about the sermon and asking the Lord and so on. And I think it was from him. He dropped this little thought into my heart, and the thought went like this. It went, what if we've been talking about in being empowered the most incredible thing ever, like having the Holy Spirit do His work through you, the miracles and so on that Jesus did. What if we've been talking about it for so long that it's become not new to people here? You know how when a thing is new, you're inclined to try, right? When we first started talking about Empowered, you're like, okay, the Holy Spirit, yeah, and I'm learning some things, and yeah, I'm going to go out, and I'm inclined to try. Now, now, inclination is not actually action, right? So inclination is subsetted by those that will actually then end up acting on it. But at least in the beginning of a thing, there's an inclination to do it. In fact, let me show you an analogy. At the beginning of the year, we started something which is called Stop and Pray. And this is mine by my door. I took this picture this morning, okay? And I move it around about every two weeks because the, the, you know, your brain seeing things in the same place over and over will quit seeing it at all. So about every time I realize I'm able to walk out the door without thinking about it or seeing it, then I move it to where I'm going to see it, okay? And so there it is, Stop and Pray. Lord, show me or tell me something that will help me recognize who you want me to reach out to as I go out. Now, is there anybody in here that doesn't want that? Wouldn't you love, it doesn't everybody in here that knows the Lord, don't you want to be the kind of person that when you go outside of your door, you're open to whatever the Holy Spirit might whisper, and if God's got somebody for you to talk to, then you talk to him, right? I mean, that's what you would want, right? So we all want to do that, but do we? Right? So one of the things that we did is we said, well, let's just keep reminding ourselves until it becomes a habit. So one of the things we're doing, and ushers, get ready, thank you, is that we're, we change out the card. Go ahead. We change out the cards, so go ahead and just pass them out. Are they in the bulletins, bulletin packets too? Okay. So if you need one because you want an extra one for your office or whatever, it's in your packet. But you see, we change the color so you get a new color to look at. And next time I think if Joe's here, would you write it down? Well, I want to change the shape. I mean, we'll make it look like a little stop sign or something. I don't know, you know. But we're just going to do things throughout the year that will help keep this thing something that we're reminded to do until we finally actually start doing it. Now watch. See? That's using human nature. That's exactly, by the way, the word and what Julie said about 
about changing small things going to big things. That's exactly what we're talking about right there, right? It's just doing something small that I actually kind of want to do and doing it so much that it actually starts becoming part of my life and then it gets momentum and then it starts taking off and then it starts going somewhere, right? Is that Jamie? Oh, my gosh. Oh, how wonderful to see you. She's one of our missionaries and she's in Thailand. How awesome to see you. I'm not in Thailand. I know I'm not in Thailand. But, oh, well, what just happened right there? She's sitting right there. Okay. I'm lost all of a sudden. Jamie, it is wonderful to see you. She's going to be standing up here shortly talking about what's going on and everything else. You are incredible. She used to be on staff. This is somebody else who just got a hold of what God is and how to do it, and now she's out there making a difference in the world in an incredible way. It is so wonderful to see you. Love you. Uh, really do. I just think of her as a daughter. I mean, she's just awesome to me. So, uh, but the point is, I don't know where I am anymore, okay? Uh, but what we're doing is, is we were talking about this, this idea that the one part of human nature is do something small that you actually want to do, and keep reminding yourself until you actually start doing it, and it starts taking on a life of its own. Another way of doing it, another way that is the more common way for human nature is, is this thing that I'm talking about, where we've been talking about empowered for quite a while. And when it's new, you're inclined to do it, whether you do it or not. You're inclined to. But then when it gets, you know, we've been doing this a year and a half. Right? And so the news off. And it just, human nature does this other funny little thing, which is it just kind of becomes... What? A nothing in us, kind of, right? It's like we're hearing it, we're doing the things, kind of. But, you know, this whole thing, we start losing the big picture because of that. That's human nature, right? Now, here's what I want to do, okay? I want us to become Christian realists. What do I mean by that? I want us to become actually able to correctly parse and discern our own selves. Right? I don't want us to, I don't want to do this. I don't want to preach a sermon to you about that you should be out there doing this and that and have everybody go, yeah, that's right, really convicted and now I'm supposed to be out there doing it. Why? Because every time you preach that some, something that people already know and they get convicted about it, the saying is, is insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. I don't want to do the same thing over and over. Just convict us and, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm supposed to be doing that. And then I do it and I do it for a little while and then human nature kicks in and I start doing it. And then I feel bad whenever I do think about it, but I don't think about it much, so it's good. You get the drift? See what I mean? Human nature. I want to be Christian realists because I happen to think that the Bible is a lot about God trying to teach us who we actually are. He's trying to say, don't imagine yourself to be a certain way and think you're actually that way and plan accordingly. Plan according to who you actually are so that you can do something. I, there's no condemnation in this sermon whatsoever, despite the fact we're going to look at some pretty tough things. What's in this sermon is, here's what I want us to do. I want us to become realist to the point that we recognize that there really is a problem and it really is deeper than what we thought. And that when we start understanding how God would deal with that problem and how he does deal with it, that we start climbing out of the place where we are, and into the place where he wants us to be. See it? So that's what we're doing today. Okay? So uh, do you want that? And, and in particular, what I want us to do is, is do you want to be like the disciples and bear fruit a hundredfold? D just say yes if you do. Yes. You know, that was a good yes, but that was not a good enough yes. 
So if you want this to happen, say yes. yes. I was a pretty good yes, but can we just do it one more time, okay? One more time. If you want this, say yes. yes. See, we want this. John, why pray for us that we actually get it and that God gets us somewhere that's going to make a difference? You've got to run the microphone back to him. Aren't you the one that's praying? That's what I was told. Okay. Keep going. Keep going. Raise your hand. Lord, we just thank you uh, for bringing us today to hear your word. And Lord, to, to get us um, aligned to, we really want to be all that you wanted, uh, want for us. We want to be... Um, bearing fruit a hundredfold. Amen. So, Lord, we pray right now that, that your word um, would come through Kurt today and would um, uh, just fill us with joy, would fill us with hope, and fill Amen. us with action, uh, that today we might um, uh, aspire and then start making the steps that take us uh, closer, ever closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The, irony of us not doing, the irony of us not doing the things that God has made us to be is that the greatest joy that you'll ever know is to become who he wants you to be, right? So we're looking at Luke. We're in chapter 8. We've noted something, which is, as Luke's telling of it, this is the first parable. Last week, we looked at parables in general, and what we looked at was how much impact they have in us, how much they can help us run our lives in a way that God would want and that's wonderful. And why we're hardwired, in fact, to learn from parables more so than any other thing. And at the same time, we learned that in order to be somebody who's actually being moved by a parable, you actually have to be somebody who wants to be moved by it. You can hear a parable and write it off. Or you can hear a parable and ask Jesus what it means, and he'll bring you revelation. And when that revelation comes, it sticks and it motivates. All right? So that's what we did last week. This week, I said, and we're doing it now, we're going to look at the actual content of the parable. But before we do that, I want to do this little thing that we've been doing in Luke. Remember, we've been reading Luke to see not just the stories, but the flow of the stories. We've been essentially stripping the stories up so that we can see the flow of information, of teaching, of training, of growth. Because once we see the flow, we can see how God trained his disciples, and we can see he's doing it in our lives too, right? So watch the flow here of Luke, okay? That back at the very beginning here, he delivers a person, uh-oh, he delivers a person from a demon, okay? That's the first thing he does after he comes in and the temptation and so on. But this is what he's doing in order to train his disciples. They see this happen. Okay, some of them. Then he heals Peter's mother. Then he heals many people. So that's pretty cool, right? That's a good start, right? You know what I mean? Delivers from a demon, heals a bunch of people. Okay, got it. Something new's happening here, okay? Then he causes a miraculous catch of fish for Peter, James, and John. It's one thing to see other people getting healed. It's another thing to go fishing and not be able to pull up the nets at the wrong time of day, right? Wow, this is something that's impacting me now, Okay? Then he heals a man with leprosy, saying, I am willing. If you're willing, heal me. I'm willing. See? He's saying, I want to do this kind of thing in the world. Then he heals a paralyzed man being let down through the roof by his friends, pointing out their faith. See? He's teaching. Their, their experience. He's saying, how did you get healed? Because Jesus healed. Because Jesus is a healer. But nowhere does Jesus put the emphasis. Not on himself. He puts it on their faith. You see that? All right? Then he teaches what he's doing is new wine. 
This is a new thing. It's not like the old religious stuff that you know about. In fact, it's quite different than that. Watch this. Then he redefines the critical law on Sabbath. Sabbath, if you're a Jewish person, Sabbath is, Sabbath is the one that you could get killed for. Sabbath is the one that everybody does. Sabbath, even to today, if you're, a, if you're a nominal Jewish person, if you have any religious Jewishness in you, Sabbath is still something you keep. It's pretty much that in the dietary laws. There are other things too, and you can certainly do a ton of other things. But you really get down to brass tacks. This Sabbath thing is huge. And here's what Jesus comes and says. You're getting it all wrong. There's an entirely different thing happening here. So this is, a, this is a huge challenge to their understanding of everything, which is what he does next. Well, he heals a man on Sabbath in front of the religious leaders to show, wow, maybe there is something to what he's saying about what Sabbath really is. And then he redefines everything in a Sermon on the Mount type sermon, right? He does this thing where he talks about the humble being the blessed ones and, and you know, all these things that are just so unnatural to us. And he's redefining everything for them. Then he highlights the great faith of the centurion who extrapolated from his military life the depths of what Jesus could do. Remember what the centurion says, you know, I need my, my servant needs heals. And Jesus says, okay, I'll come to him. He says, oh, I'm not, you're not worthy, to, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Just say the word. I'm, I do that. I say the word. People do and don't do and so on, right? See what I mean? And so what Jesus says is, he's saying, look at, look at what's happening. There's somebody who's getting it. There's somebody who's looking at life, looking at God, looking at things, and they're, they're building their own understanding. And guess what? God's good for it. See? As you start to reach and expand, God will be there when you get there. See? Right? So then he shows he has power even over death. Wow. You know what I mean? I mean, I mean, you know, how much more fundamental does he have to get? And then he shows, says, now he says, look, now watch. He's going into a new theme here. John the Baptist is the greatest person ever. But the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. Who's the least? You and me. Those disciples and everybody, right? The least in the kingdom of God is greater than the greatest person that's ever lived before Christ. Why? Because they've been being, being made new. Wow. Okay, wow. Then he points out how religious leaders are rejecting him. See, there's something going on inside of them which is causing them to totally reject him, even though he'll do anything for them. We, 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 did, we danced, and you wouldn't come dance with us. We cried a dirge, and you wouldn't cry with us. See, the religious leaders are not getting it, and to the point that there's this sinful woman, the one that you all write off because she's not, you know, she's a harlot or whatever she is, but she's not... The, you know, she's certainly not the religious leader. And yet it turns out that she's the one that loves him, and the religious leader is shown not to love him. So that's pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, you look at that flow. That's pretty good flow, right? If you were going to teach somebody something, if you were going to put together a class on how to train somebody up in who Christ is and what he does and how he does and so on, that's pretty good stuff, isn't it? And now he gets to his parable. And here's what he's doing in his parable. Real simple. He's shown them unbelievable things that they need to believe. He's talked about things that they took as to just be gospel truth, and he's totally flipped it on its head and redefined it for them. He's shown them that he's over everything, and that he wants them to love him. And now he goes and he says, 
and I want you to do the same thing I'm doing. This is what this parable is about. See where the flow, see where it fits in the flow? Now he's coming to his disciples, having shown them all of this, and he's saying, I want you to do what I'm doing. Watch. Here's how he does it. Here's the parable. As a large crowd was gathering, people were flocking to him from every town. He said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. As he was sowing, some fell along the path it was trampled on, and the birds of the sky ate it up. Other seed fell on the rock. When it sprang up, it withered since it lacked moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns. The thorns sprang up with it and choked it. Still other seed fell on the good ground, and when it sprang up, it produced a crop a hundred times what was sown. And then here's what he says, and we talked about this really last week. He called out, anybody who has ears to hear, <coughs> listen. Listen. Pay attention. This is important. See it? And then he says this really enigmatic thing, which if you don't understand this, love you. Listen to last week's sermon. I believe you'll understand it. If you still have questions, you got my email. Then his disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? So he said, the secrets of the kingdom of God will be given to you to know. But to the rest, it's in parables so that looking they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And just for those who did not hear that sermon, let me put in that one thought, which is this. The difference between somebody who knows what a parable is about and somebody who doesn't is simply this. Do you want to? Do you want to know what the parable is about? Or are you just going to be closed off to knowing it? Are you just going to shut down? If you shut down, you'll never understand it. You'll hear it, but you won't understand it. If you want to understand it, what do you do? Ask Jesus. What do you do today? Ask Jesus. If you ask Jesus, what does he do? Talks to you. It may take a while. You may have to be faithful. You may have to press in. The stuff you press into turns out to be the best stuff of all. Right? The stuff that comes cheap tends to leave cheap. The stuff that comes hard makes all the difference. Right? All right. So, now, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The seed along the paths of those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. So they may not believe it. Okay, now this is that path, that, that hard path, right? And I throw this seed down here, and what he's saying is, is real simple is, it's hard. That seed doesn't even get down into the soil where it can get moisture and grow a, any kind of a root or anything else, and even if it could, it wouldn't. And, and really what happens is, is that that seed that's been thrown on that hard place actually is just going to end up getting snatched away. The birds there are going to come and eat it, and it's done. It's, it's not going to be there. So here's what we're learning. We're learning that a hard heart is easy to steal from. Okay? All right? Number two. Okay? And the seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, they welcome the word of the joy, but having no root, they believe for a while and depart in a time of testing. This is big rocks, and that's cool, but, but let's just take it rocky soil. If any of you have farmed ever enough to know what rocky soil is, it, rocky soil is a lot looser than rocks, or I mean than good soil, Right? And the, the looseness of it allows for moisture to get in there, for seed, for roots to go down and things to grow. Even in the Northwest, right, one of the biggest things that's always freaked me out about the Northwest, having come from places like Wyoming and Denver, high desert. In the high desert, you have to understand, everything's dead. That's why they call it the desert. So Denver, Colorado, these kind of, these places, everything is dead. There's a few months of the year it gets green, and for the rest of the year it's either golden or dead. Okay? Here... I, it cracks me up when I'm driving down the freeway, and if there's a little bit of dirt in one of those cement dividers, there's something growing in it. <laughs> that does not happen in Wyoming, okay? In Wyoming, it takes 300 acres to grow one cow. 
in Iowa, it, one acre grows 30 cows, okay? So it's just high desert, you know, rocky soil. But, you know, the seed, the root can go down, and it'll spring right up. But then hot resistance, perseverance, something happens. It just doesn't have a deep enough fruit, good enough soil and everything, and it withers and dies, right? Okay. Now, here's the one. So rocky heart, it's not going to persevere. It doesn't have enough to it, okay? Number three is, as for the seed that fell among the thorns, these are the ones who, when they heard, go on their way, but the worries, the riches, the pleasures of life, they end up not pursuing any mature fruit. Now, here's one thing Wyoming doesn't have that we have in abundance here. This is actually one of these blackberry bushes, which I've pulled out bulbs of those forever, and thank God I live in a condo now. I don't have to do that anymore. <coughs> but the point is, is you can throw that that seed in there, and it will grow, right? You know it'll grow, but there's a whole lot of other stuff that's going to grow too. If you don't tend that garden, if you don't get rid of that stuff, what happens, right? It just gets choked out, okay? So all of that seed just getting choked out, all right? All right, so that one is worry, riches, and pleasures in your heart. It just doesn't end up in fruit, all right? So number four is what? The seed in good ground. These are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it and by enduring bear. And I've added from Matthew and Luke the 30 and 60. But 30, 60, 100-fold fruit. Now, this is that good soil right here. And this is good soil. And I could take any kind of, almost any kind of seed up here in the northwest, and I could put it in there, and it would grow, right? It would become something. So this is the good soil. Okay. So there's the parable. We've all heard it. If you've been around Christendom for very long, you've heard this, Right? Now, I want to suggest to you that there's actually two ways of reading it. We're going to read it both ways. One of them is what it has to do with you, and the other one has to do with others. So let's start with us. I want to read this parable. Jesus is taking them aside, and he's talking to them about what the parable means. And when he's doing that, I want to suggest to you that part of what is happening here is he's asking them, what kind of soil are you? Right? So let's do that. I mean, I really want us to honestly do this exercise together as we're doing it, okay? So, receptive heart, 30, 60, 100 fold fruit. So hard heart, okay, now, that, now initially what he's talking about is hard heart, salvation doesn't kick in, most of the people here are saved, so you're probably not hard hearted, but can we extend the, the meaning of that a little bit to our heart even as Christians? Are you somebody who's in a bit of a fight with God? Has God let you down somewhere? to where you've hardened your heart against something he might be trying to sow in there? Are there things that God might be saying to you and you're in a fight with him, which is always, your arms are too short to box with God, right? So, you know what I mean? But, but is there this thing that's going on where there's something that's happened in your life and you're just really not interested? Have you ever been in your life in that place? Where you're just not really even interested in God planting something in there because right now you just kind of want to hold on to something else, Right? And so you do not let it take root. Hard-hearted. And what happens to the truth that God brings? It gets stolen away, doesn't it? Now by His grace, He'll get you through that time. Okay? So it's not the end of the world, but we all know what a hard heart means. Because we've all had it at one time or another. Okay? Pray to God you're not in there, there now. And of course, nobody here is in any of these problem areas. So, A rocky heart. Okay? This is somebody... You know what? I have to tell you... I think that we're doing a whole lot of rocky heart or 
planting in a, in, a, in a way that won't allow somebody to persevere right now. I happen to think that there's a whole lot of gospel presentation, which is with big lights and lots of show and lots of professionalism and lots of excellence, and it's incredibly moving, and we know how to move people, and we get them to move, and they accept Jesus, and that they said that he's in their heart, and by the way, it's real. They really do accept Jesus into their hearts. But nobody ever told them that it was a journey. Has anybody seen, oh, I should have put this up. Has anybody ever seen the Facebook little thing that's out right now where it says your path to God and it's this nice little steady uphill climb on a bicycle? And then it says God way to get you to him and it's this jagged thing with big divides and rivers and mountains that you got to cross and all of these difficulties, right? You know, when we bring people to the Lord, I don't know, you know, I don't know that we're really doing them a favor when we don't make them understand the cost of the tower. When we, when we present the gospel to them as if it's going to be happy ever after. Okay? And I do think that there's a lot of people that when the hard sun comes and the, perse the persecution, the dis difficulties, the things that happen in life happen, that it becomes kind of hard for them to hold on. Now, God in his grace and his mercy can mature a person and get them from this to better soil, right? So we have grace for this. But the question that we're asking is, is what are you? Right? The question we're asking is, is, is this you? Do you have a faith that understands persecution trial? Right? Is that your soil? Or is it one that's, you, you get my root might be a little shallower than what I can do. Okay? All right, let's go to number three. This is the one, this is the American church. Do we all understand that? There's a big church out there in the world, and the American church is, is a small percentage of it. And the bottom line is, is that the American church worry, riches, and pleasures. And here's the thing about the American church that's so difficult. I always say this. Nothing's harder to survive than prosperity. And the person, the person in here says, no, persecution would be much harder to survive. Let me tell you, all over the world, people are being persecuted. We'll have more martyrs this year than ever before. And the places in which the Bible and Christ are being persecuted are the places in which the gospel is exploding because people have to make a choice when they come to the Lord. This may cost me my life. Is it worth it? And once you've made the decision that it is, you move forward and nothing's going to stop you. You move forward in power. Here's what happens in America. You know, it's really easy. You know, if, if the gospel is about being joyful, you do know that you, in America, um, more than any other country in the world right now, Western Europe, right there too, but in America right now, it's really easy to be basically happy, basically joyful, basically okay without God. It just is. And we let the things that we like choke out the things that he would like to do in us and through us. Do we see that? We get this, right? Okay? So, I mean, if we have to say which one are we, I think all of us better say, there's a little bit of weed in me. Okay? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Bill Deuce, I love you. We got to talk. We got to go out to lunch. <laughs> it was the first one. <laughs> Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> okay. Changing the subject entirely. <laughs> I'm 
I'm just going on to the next one because there's just some holes you need to get out of, right? All right. Receptive heart, 30, 60, 100-fold fruit. And we look at our lives as Christians, American Christians, we look at our lives and we say, I'm not unfruitful, right? Uh, you know, there's some of that. And, and I, but I think here's what we really think as American Christians when we read that little verse right there. Here's what I think we really think. I think we read it like this. Am I hard soil? No. Am I rocky soil? Not really. Are there weeds in there? Yes. But really, I'm pretty good soil. I'm open to what the Lord has to say, right? I really am. We really are, and that's part of what's in here. And this is good stuff, right? So I think we really do say, you know, I'm pretty good soil, which is a good, nice, objective, and probably somewhat true. But here's what I want you to understand about this parable. It's not actually giving us a subjective criteria. Are you good soil? What it's giving us is an objective measurement. Have you borne 30, 60, and 100-fold fruit? Now, let me make it clear, that isn't only salvations, but let me make it even more clear. That's what it's talking about is salvations. Here's what it means. Bottom line, no condemnation, just Christian realism. Don't, I don't want a show of hands. Have you led 30 people to the Lord in your life? Have you? How about 60? How about 100? Because, by the way, I added 30 and 60 in there just to give us a little easier target. Because in this particular telling of the parable, what he says at the beginning, as we saw, was 100-fold. Right? Some of it's going to go into good soil, and it's going to do what? What's the objective way that you can tell if it was good soil? <laughs> did, it, did it spring up and bear a crop? The same thing that happened to you happens in 30, 60, and 100 more people. That's what it's saying. Then let's be real. Okay? Can we not hide behind what we're embarrassed about and afraid of so that we can admit to what's actually happening so that maybe we can actually get some help on this deal? Because the fact of the matter is there's probably but maybe two or three people sitting in this room that have brought 30 people to the Lord. That's just the facts. In fact, you want to know what the facts are? This is the American church, okay? What percentage of American Christians will ever try to lead someone to Christ? Any, take a guess. In their whole life, what percent will ever try and bring somebody to the Lord? 20% I heard? It's 10. Okay? One out of 10 Christians will ever even try. Think about that one for a second. I'm not trying to condemn anybody or convict anybody. Like I say, we're going somewhere with this, okay? I want you to have hope in your heart. It's just that we have to go through the little valley of shadow of death in order to get to where we know what the table is he's preparing for us. Right? So the bottom line is, is one out of ten will ever even try to bring anybody else to the Lord. That is unbelievable. In light of what the gospel has to say and tells us to do and to be, and says that we are and we think that we are. Even one in ten. Okay, how many will actually succeed? Take a guess. Yeah, five. 5%, 1 in 20. Now, just, just to show us what the nature of the beast is, what percentage of people will ever lead someone to the Lord in such a way as that they will understand how to lead somebody else to the Lord and actually succeed in doing so? 0.5, I like that. It actually is 1, but, you know, it's just because how do you go lower? Okay? 1 out of 100. 1 out of 100. 
Thank God for that one guy who's bringing 100 people to the Lord so the other 100 of us are covered at least on the one, right? I don't think that's what he was saying, but can we hide under that umbrella? Why? If it's clear, and how could he have made it more clear? <laughs> we don't read it that way, do we? We don't hear it preached that way, do we? But the bottom line is if we're going to be realists and if we're going to let the word say what it's actually saying rather than what we want it to say, right? We can ask a question. First of all, we'll all admit we got a problem, so we're good, all right? We're part of a big club, okay? The fact that you haven't brought anybody to the Lord, welcome to the big club, okay? But, but here's the deal. We can go back to the Lord and say, why? Why not? Why haven't we brought anybody to the Lord? And by the way, he says, well, because there's a hard heart. You got some problem with me, and you don't really think of me as good, and blah, blah, blah. You got a rocky heart, you know, which means that you don't really understand the depths of it and so on, and, and that worry and riches and pleasures are choking it out. Now, by the way, I don't think that that's all of it. I think if we were to really get serious, and we've done this before, if we were to get serious and have people talk about why they don't actually lead other people to the Lord, I'd say the number one thing is fear. You know what I mean? People are afraid that they just don't know enough or they're going to look stupid or, you know, you know, something like that. Another one is, is, well, I tried to reach out to the Lord and they rejected me. And so it's kind of like associated with fear, but it's kind of just rejection. You know what I mean? And there, there's all these other things too. But the bottom line is what Jesus doesn't do is say, but, you know, if you're really scared about it, don't worry. What he says is, this is, this is what good soil looks like. And if we don't look like that, then I think we can do something. In fact, I think we have to do something. And here's what we cannot do. Boy, boy, oh boy, oh boy. I wish I could just, wish I could somehow take what's in my head and just, just drop it in everybody's head in such a way that you understood the fullness of what I meant by this. If you try and do in the flesh what you've been unable to do in the flesh, it will have the same result as you always had. If you haven't borne 30, 60, and 100 full fruit, and you try and do so by doing the same things you did yesterday, what's going to happen? The same thing that happened yesterday. It just is true about us. In fact, look at how gracious God is about understanding this about us. Watch what he says. You crazy Galatians, did someone put a hex on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened, for it's obvious that you no longer have the crucified Jesus in clear focus in your lives. Let me put this question to you. How did your new life begin? Was it by working your heads off to please God? If you don't have the message as one of the translations that you can go to, please get a copy of that. You can get it online. It's so cheap. Nothing. But the point is, is read the message every once in a while because, man, sometimes he just so nails the spirit. He's trying to say what with the people that were listening to it in that day and age, with their whole cultural context that we have to get ourselves into, if we were in that cultural context, the message is trying to say, how did they hear this stuff? What did it feel like? And this is what it felt like. Let me put this question. Was it by working your heads off to please God? Is that how you got saved? Right? Or was it by responding to God's message to you? By simply saying yes. He, 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 he drew and you said okay. Right? Are you going to continue this craziness? Only crazy people would think they could complete by their own efforts what was begun by God. If you weren't smart enough or strong enough to begin it, how do you suppose you could perfect it? <laughs> Is this awesome? 
did you go through this whole painful learning process for nothing? It's not yet a total loss, but it certainly will be if you keep this up. Answer this question. Does the God who lavishly provides you with his own presence, his Holy Spirit, working things in your lives you could never do for yourselves, does he do these things because, love this, of your strenuous moral striving or because you trust him to do them in you? Which is it? Here's the truth. When we get convicted, we always go back to trying to figure it out in our flesh. Always. That's just human nature. Let's be Christian realists. Let's start understanding what's actually happening so that we have some hope of actually getting out of it. Now, right now, I want to tell you the, the, the shorthand way of saying everything that he just said there in Galatians is insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Okay, it isn't going to work. So can we put to bed that the stuff that we've done in the past that didn't work isn't going to work? Can we put that to bed so that we can actually pick up something new, a new wine, a new thing, a new way of looking at it, a new way of being? Can we actually pick up something? We're going to have a discussion here, and I'm hoping it's a robust one. I'm fearful that it won't be, but would you prove me wrong, please? Because what I'm asking you to do is I'm asking you to really get creative right now. Start thinking even right now. I'm going to do a couple more things. Take me about two minutes. But I want you to start getting creative on what would I do that was, that's out of the box different. Here, here's one of the things I'm really going for. Remember when Roger and Kathy Miller stood up here and talked about CMA, their motorcycle association, and the ministry they did, and the people came, and they, they minister all over and so on. Do you remember what the whole point was? What we were saying was there are things that you like to do, and that's where God wants you to be. Do those things just in Christ. Understand this about your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers and so on. They're not going to come here for the most part. They're not going to come here. So God put you there. He put you in a family. He put you in a neighborhood. He put you in a work environment. He put you with friends. And he intended you to pass on the good stuff that you had. Because in the end, when we're sharing Christ with somebody, what are we really doing? Loving them. That's what it is, right? Do we really love them? And if we love them, then of course you share. Do you do it wisely? Do you do it carefully? Of course you do, right? But now watch this. Remember I said there was two ways of reading that passage? One was what it does in reading us properly. But the other one is, now watch this nice little freedom that I'm giving you right here that Christ gave us. Watch this. There's three types of seed up there. There's seed on a trampled down path. There's seeds in rocks, and there's seeds that's coming up in weeds. You know what that means to you? That when you're out there doing the gospel, it's falling on four different places, and guess what? Three of those places aren't going to bear fruit, and that's not on you. It's not your responsibility to change their soil. Now, don't be stupid. Don't just go out there and say, do you believe in Christ? No, good, I can write you off now. <laughs> no love in that, right? What's love? love? Love brings wisdom. I really do want them to hear. I'm going to be wise about how I would reach out to them because I care about them, right? So I'm going to be smart. I'm going to be wise. I'm going to be led. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do this, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to do all the things that it takes that God might actually get his way through me, right? So now we're going to have our discussion. 
Now that, we've, now that the burden is lifted, now that we've seen ourselves plainly, here's what we know. If we ask, he'll tell. So I'm asking you to just kind of pop up. And I, let, me give you some, let me give you some starter type ideas so you see what I'm thinking. In him, and what I mean by in him is, is not in your own flesh, right? In him, you could just decide to pray faithfully every day for somebody who doesn't yet know him. Like, write a name down, right? Or you could do this. You could write down a list of names, two or three people, pray over them, and ask God to orchestrate a time where you can talk with them about him. In other words, have it on your prayer list, and every day you're asking the Lord for these three people, give me a time when I can talk to them. Let me know what it is. I'm slow learner. I'm dense, thick. You know what I mean? I'm scared. I'm all the things that I am. Admit that. But help me because I love them and I want them to know you. Not because I want to be a 30, 60 and, and hang a nice little hat on my accomplishments, but because I love them and I want them to come to know you. Right? In him, talk to one person per day about God. Or maybe once a week. But you know what? Once a week you'd forget, right? It, it, I mean, how hard is it really to say that in the course of an entire day, I'm just going to, if I get, if, if, you know, just how are you doing? You know, if, if they're sick, can I pray for you? If, you know, just purpose that you're going to do something God, at least one to, with one person, right? It's not, have, do you know the seven spiritual laws or the four spiritual laws or the four, you see what I mean? It's not some road routine thing. It's just something very natural and real. How about this one? This is a really easy one that we could do. Every time you see somebody that's sick, you would just simply ask them, can I pray for you? How hard is that? Right? I mean, is this like really, really big stuff? This is, we're doing the, right? We're doing Julie's thing, right? Okay. Your turn. Okay? What, what fun things could we do just out of the box? Okay? Uh, go ahead. Thank you very much. Go ahead. Thank you. That's D. And you got to stand up and say your name and then, okay. And don't be, if, by the way, if you're an introvert, can I tell you that we love you so much that we absolutely are in critical need of what you would say right now? I know that you're thinking the extroverts will want to talk right now and you don't want to talk. I love you so much and we love you so much and you're amongst friends. Would you just get up and give us the benefit of what God has spoken to you? Because I got to tell you, introverts typically, their words word for word carry more weight okay us extroverts can use a lot of words and get a little bit done introverts you can use a few words and get a lot done okay so we need you hey you've talked so long i forgot no. <laughs> which okay. is which is typical <laughs> no i remember um i was just thinking that when i have somebody i'm going to be in contact with it could be a family member or someone i ask god to um have them start a certain sentence and that will know it's the time to share and that's awesome and it works it's worked yeah. every time that's the stop and pray thing god show me something that would let me know this is somebody you want me to reach out to right like they have a red blouse on you gave me a vision of a red blouse but but here you are saying if they say these words i'll know that that's something the that lord wants to do i've heard lots of people do that to, to great effect and by the way, if you know that he's telling you to do it, don't you feel a lot more likely to do it? Right? Doesn't that really help you a lot? Get rid of the fear and stuff? Go ahead, Kelly. Is that Kelly way back? Yeah, there's Kelly. 
It's hey, either that or a bear. A going, going back to last week's sermon, that's either that or a bear back there. Okay, yeah. Kelly? You know, just, I, I've gone up and just asked people what they thought of service last week, even if I, even if I have the feeling they don't go to service. Yeah. You know, just because it gets the, the topic up off the ground sure. and, and get people going. Sure. Absolutely. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, Jeff, go so ahead. So my name's Joy, and the one thing that I saw in this passage that was a little different than I used to see it before was that bearing fruit isn't necessarily bringing people to the Lord, but bearing fruit sometimes means bearing the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, self-control. And I've noticed in my own life that I've had, you know, a handful of non-Christian friends over the last few years. And um, sometimes, you know, some of them, it's been four-something years, and they, um, one guy told me um, a couple weeks ago, so I've been going to church. I thought you might want to know that. And for years, I didn't really share much of the gospel with him. might have been once or twice that I shared my testimony. But what changed was the fruit. He saw the fruit that was different. And I think that if we focus on bearing that spiritual fruit, we will then bear the, um, the fruit, the harvest. Yeah, everybody gets that, right? I mean, that, that, that is so true. If you just are letting the Lord transform you, there isn't a better witness of the people that know you. There isn't. Right? If you're actually being transformed, I do want to make clear, and I know that you weren't coming against this, that parable really is talking about becoming somebody who is leading in the same kind, particularly read the first of it. It's bearing a crop of the same kind that it bore, which is salvations. So the parable really is going after that, but the point that you make about how to get to where you start bearing more fruit in salvations is by being more, allowing the Holy Spirit's fruit to come out? Absolutely true. Is it Jen? Okay, the lights are a little high and I can't quite see, but it's okay. Don't, don't adjust them. Um, I'm not real excited about what I think God's calling me to do on this. <laughs> um, but uh, what I'm feeling challenged to do in life is in those places that are frustrating or awkward or look like the hard thing, yeah. that that's really the place where we need God to show up and to step into it. And instead of, so in that place where it seems difficult, that's actually the opportunity. That's really good. Can you, I want you to take that one step further and give us a pragmatic example of what you might be talking about. Um, and if you can't, it's okay. I don't mean to put you on the spot at all. Well, that is putting me on the spot. You're good at that. <laughs> I don't mean to be. Um, okay, so um, my daughter Madison has not been well. Then that means I'm seeing doctors and school and all kinds right, of things, and right. everybody has different opinions. Right. And so... I'll run into conflicting professional opinions all the time. But really, as I'm walking centered in Christ and I'm able to speak in that situation without getting rattled, but to just, then I find that I'm having opportunities to talk with people. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, there's a story that I can't tell right now, but I'm going to use as a sermon illustration after I get your permission. But I'm going to give you the highlight now. Did I cover myself enough there? But your master's program had an unbelievable thing happen. And, you know, God really, I mean, that's such a powerful story of God's care and provision for his own. The way that you were genuinely persecuted for your faith. Gen this is a woman who was genuinely persecuted for her faith. And no question about it. I mean, to the point that they were going to deny her a degree. 
because he was a Christian, and how could you be a Christian and be a, a counselor? You know, the two, the, they, in that particular school, they didn't go together. And, and unbelievable what God has done to just demonstrate. In the end, he always sorts it out. And he sorted it out incredibly. So go ahead, Hannah. you got to stand up, though. Good morning. So um, I'm one of the types of people that's extremely uncomfortable talking to other people about God, um, even people that I know are believers. So it's, all, it's kind of odd. So I'm, I'm one of those people. So if you're like that, um, you can know there's, there's lots of us. Um, but one thing I have found really helps so the other challenge I have is I don't know the Bible really well either, so I have lots of opportunities for improvement. But I try not to let um, this kind of keep me from having some sort of influence. So what I try yeah. to do with people is just be open, like, um, you know, sharing that I went to church. Like when people say, hey, what you do this weekend? Oh, I went to church. I have this awesome church, great people, great messages, just little things like that that people can hook on to because yeah. there's a lot of people that are curious but they don't know kind of who to ask or what questions right. or if you're a safe person. That's exactly and, right. And the point I make in even saying that I don't even, you know, I'm not, I, I should know a lot more about the Bible than I do is that I try not to let that hold me back. And so if they then ask me a question, I then try to find the answer because a yeah. lot of times I don't know whether myself or another resource. Yeah. Um, but at least, like, I know when I was really seeking out the Lord, at least if I had these little people that I could grab onto and, and ask things, it was a start. Um, so I think just letting people know that you are a believer in what, yeah. whatever way is comfortable just dropping for you. Just little, dropping little things. Two things on that. One, Easter's coming up about a month. 85% of people surveyed. Now, that doesn't mean they're, they're actually telling people the truth, right? But 85% of people surveyed say, if someone would ask me, I'd go to church with them. Here's what we think as Christians. I don't want to ask them because I don't want it to be uncomfortable. But 85% of people will identify on a survey as saying that they would go. The other thing that I want to say is, and, and this, is, this is the biggest single thing, if I could get this out of everybody's head, okay? You know what you need to know. Why? Because God is the one who put you in that position. And he wouldn't put you in a position where you didn't have every piece of information that you needed. Are you a Bible scholar? Have you read the Bible 52 times? And can you answer the Greek and Hebrew of this, that, and the other thing? Of course not. He doesn't, for, for a couple of thousand years, he's been doing really fine without people that knew all that stuff. Here's what they did share. What God does in me. And, the, and, and this is the big thing, what we're talking about is empowered, which is to say letting the Holy Spirit do his thing through you. And the biggest thing is, when you put yourself into a witnessing position, something that the heavens themselves are rejoicing over, don't you know that God is just, just dying to say something through you that you don't even know? How many times have you been talking to somebody about God in any capacity, and stuff is coming out of your mouth, and you're going, wow, I should be recording this or writing this down because I'd like to remember that. That's really good. This happens to me all the time, even when I'm preaching. Okay, I'm like, wow, that's good. You know, I hope it is anyway. Now, all of a sudden, I feel awkward, okay? But, but, but you get the point, okay? The point is when God has put you together with that person, you know everything that you need to say. And in fact, 1 John says it. Because you have the Holy Spirit, you know all. The, some translations will say, well, everybody knows. And that's a total violation of the Greek there. They're just trying to say, how could people know all? Well, it was said it right there in the verse. Because of the Holy Spirit being in you, you know everything. Everything you need to know, he'll speak through you. Okay, where were we? Okay, wherever that is. Oh, Courtney, awesome. Hi, I'm Courtney. My love language is service. So 
my ears are always attuned to talking with people and they say something that clicks in my head is like, oh, they need something. So I go weeding in people's gardens and awesome. I lend out my truck and we take a trip to the dump or I lend out my two boys. <laughs> but that, that's, that is my way of witnessing to these people is that, you know, they need something, here's something that I can do for them. Amen. Amen. Go ahead. We've got two over here. Is there anybody over here? We need, need to balance out the room. Okay. We got Marina back there, and then we got two over here. So go ahead to Marina. Okay, go ahead. Hi. Um, <clears throat> I think what I was thinking about that, you know, because I work in the medical field, and I work with, I get an opportunity every day to touch people's lives. But sometimes it's overwhelming because I do have to do my work and be professional uh -huh. and all that. But what I've been praying about is God show me that person that you want me, like, you, you know, what we've been praying about with a stop yeah. and pray, is that you want me to say, and what is it that they need? Yeah. Sometimes it's just planting a seed, you know. And being, uh, I think what I've learned, uh, God has been teaching me, is about being intentional. You know, it's Amen. not all the information I, I give them, right. but, you know, be intentional, pray about it. For example, I'm going to meet with my friends from work. We're going to go out for breakfast next Saturday, and, um, and I think all of them are non-Christian. Some of them are even probably atheists. But, you know, um, it's, okay, what is it that that person, you know, it could be a key word for them. Yeah. That for me, it doesn't mean anything, but for them, it could change their lives. And I noticed, too, that, you know, for example, there was a, a young um, a lady that, was, that kept coming to our church a while ago, and uh, she was searching, she said. And, and, you know, I was trying to witness to her, and I thought, God, what is it that she needs from me? Because, you know, um, yeah. we don't have a lot in common, but, you know, she really liked me, and she wanted me to talk to her about God and all that. And, um, and I think what I got was, you know what? Your my job was to just be led by God and speak into her life whenever Amen. God, you Amen. know, uh, presented that opportunity. And Amen. again, I was intentionally in my walks with her or my yeah. outings. And then she went away, but I still pray for her because I think God brought her to my life for that reason. Amen. And to put other people in her you lives. Know, you know, you use the word that if we were trying to sum the entire sermon up into one word, being intentional. I guess that's two words. Intentional. Right? Intentional. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to, rem we're trying to say, okay, there is an issue, and God is trying to change it, and if we're going to change it, we do have to set our minds on it. We have to be intentional about it. We're going to do just a couple more, and we've got a couple here. So go ahead. If you really have to say something more, you know, we'll, we'll get to you too, but okay, go ahead. All right. So I am an introvert, so bear with me here. Um, I'm going off of what Joy said and what Pastor Kurt said about it being different from what you might expect. Um, a few years ago, I had a debate partner, and I was in a, a Christian debate league, but my debate partner was an atheist. Um, and I always felt weird because I felt like as a Christian, I should be calling out Christ and him and ministering to him and whatever. Um, but instead, we would just have scientific debates. And we would spend hours debating science and astronomy 
and discussing these hardcore scientific topics that no one else um, in my Christian Debate League really cared about. They cared more about the politics and religion. Yeah. Um, but because of my dad, I had a huge passion for science, and so did my debate partner. And I, I think the biggest ministry I brought to him was showing him that I could be a Christian and still understand science better in some yeah. areas than he did. No um, and that I wasn't afraid of science and that I was willing to incorporate it into my beliefs and into my religion. No question. So him seeing that made Christians more touchable and not as closed off. Now, if I were to paraphrase what you're saying, God made her a certain way, and when she's that certain way, that's how he's using her, right? I mean, this is not complicated. By the way, if you have any issues about faith and science, write down reasons to believe or reasons.org. Hugh Ross, he's spoken here several times. The best single resource, there are three or four people in this congregation that have gotten saved through that website, okay? So it's got all kinds of really good science, and, and you know, it's just a great place to go for people that are struggling with that thing. Did you want to say something? Okay, well, okay, but we're, we're having to wrap up right now, so I'm sorry. Okay, well, get, go, if we could. Michael, okay. and yes. uh, if you know, when you're excited about something, you talk about it. Around here, we talk about the weather. When the Seahawks were winning, we talk about the Seahawks. Great analogy. If you're excited about God and he's doing things in your life, That's right. you talk about it. That's right. And you don't limit your words uh, because you're excited. Right. So you might want to just check how excited you are. Yeah, I agree. I agree totally with that. And if you're not excited, by the way, I want to make it really, really understood. If you're not excited, tell him that. Why am I not excited? Because he'll do something that'll get you to a place where you're excited. The, the biggest part of our Christian walk is usually figuring out where we actually are. Okay, we, I, I can see a bunch more hands going up. And this is exactly what I wanted to have happen. You guys are phenomenal. I was so afraid of crickets right here, you know. What are you going to do to outreach? Everybody's going, uh, uh. So, all right, better that we're having this problem than the other one. Zach, go ahead real quick, and we'll do Rich. And then I'm going to do just one more, Eric, and then so, i got to cut it off. Okay. All right, my name's Zach. And, um... I'm really rough around the edges, you know, uh, in a lot of... No. Yeah. And I, what a surprise. But God puts my life together in a way that I'm around people that I get and that get me. And so um, I, what helps me in sharing my faith is that um, I have to remember that it's, you know, the scripture says it's not he who plants nor he who waters, but it's God that makes it grow. So I don't know if I'm watering, if I'm planting, I don't know what stage I'm at in, in sharing whatever it is that's pertinent to that individual, but being open enough is, right. is the key for me. I mean, that's I just right. need to be okay with wherever that stage is, and then usually the Spirit of God just opens the doors for opportunities, and you know, my, I share more in my business um, than yeah. anything else. How many people are in this room right now in part because of Zach? Raise your hands. There's at least four or five people that go to this church because of that. And I see a couple hands going up, and I'm, I'm looking for a couple of the other guys. I don't know if they're here today. But there's a number of people that go to Lake Sam because of you. And I mean, have come to Christ and go to Lake Sam because of you. And that doesn't mean that I led them to Christ. Like, I didn't do the sinner's prayer with them, right? But what I did was I was willing to either plant water or, you know, help the That's growing. Right. That's right. That's and exactly I didn't know right. what stage I was in, and I'm okay with that. And exactly. my mother is a perfect example. I would have never, ever, ever thought that my mother would have 
giving her life Stand to Christ. Stand up here and give her life to the Lord. Yeah. That's and, exactly um, right. And, and she did. And I just kept yeah. loving on her and not, you know, I didn't cram the, you know, cram yeah. the seed into the rock. Right? You know, I just, <laughs> you, know, you know, I didn't. <laughs> you know okay. what I mean, right? But okay. Uh, we'll do Eric and then we'll do Rich. And then we're, you got to be done. I love you. But, you know, we do want to go home. So go ahead. Hi, I'm Eric, and I think my daughter just stole what I wanted to say. Good. Um, <laughs> That's think, a good thing, right? Yes, good we think a lot alike. Um, so I work in software, and like a lot of other intellectual uh, industries, you know, the, the intellectual horsepower and logic is all important in that field. And you're, you're evaluated and weighed on how well you can think. And when I interact with my coworkers, I realize that their impression of Christianity is shaped by all of the uh, extreme weirdos that end up in the media today, right? Like the you know the Westboro Baptist guy that just died, uh, or you know the, the the people who believe that you know the aliens are riding in on the comet to to take us all away, and and they think that is what a Christian is, and so the risk for me is I don't want to be identified as a Christian because that burns all of my intellectual capital, right? I'm not, I, I'm afraid that I'm going to be considered not a logical person, which makes me unsuited to even work in that industry. But what the, the, the opportunity for me there is not necessarily to, you know, go up and get in their face and say, you know, have you considered, you know, Christ to be your, your personal savior? Because they're not ready for that. But what they do need is an alternative example of what a Christian actually is. So what they need is for me to say, I'm a Christian, and I'm not crazy. <laughs> that's, that's really in the American culture that actually is what most people need most of the time. They just need for us to stand up and say, I'm a Christian, and I'm not crazy. And I think that's going to get us a lot further down the road than where we are right now. And, and I want to say, and you've just, you know, God always does something really amazing during these discussions, he always allows something right towards the end to just really nail it in a way that takes us into where I wanted to go. And one of the things that I wanted to say, and I'm going to share it right now, Rich, despite the fact I'm getting to you. But I just want to tell you something. I asked you how many people you've led to the Lord. And, you know, most people would have a tough time coming up with one name. The truth is that you've been a part of more than one person coming to the Lord. That's true. Now, I want to be careful when I say that because I don't want to let you off the hook on how important it is that we be intentional about this whole thing. But the truth of the matter is, is that when you get to heaven, you're going to be quite surprised at the water, the plant, the part that God used you to play in somebody coming to the Lord. And there's a whole lot of people in here right now, all respect that's due you, that have had a lot of impact on a lot of lives. And you really are bearing that kind of fruit. So we want to take that. We're going to do something else right now, but Rich, and then we're going to go to it. Just talk into it. You should be good. Okay. My name is Rich. Um, what I was going to say is you be yourself. Because as, you're, as you are yourself, you're going to be a leader. That's right. And we see that in, the, in, the, in some of the other parables. The Good Samaritan, what did he do? He made it work for the guy who was laying in the ditch. That's right. Okay. You see an opportunity, you, you plug it, you fill it. 
right. they'll know you're a Christian, and it builds off of what Eric said. Yeah. They'll know you that you're a Christian and that you make sense you're not off the deep end. What happened to the prodigal son? The father ended up throwing a big party. Everybody heard about the guy who, was, who came back. Okay. His good. dad did what was natural. That's good. Rich, how many kids do you have? I have six kids. So Rich has six to his name. Because well, they actually, all I, can I correct you on that? I have nine kids. I've got That's three true. through Jane. Yeah. I just wanted to say that, you know, you have that many that's already to your account, your kids, you know. Okay. We're going to, we got to do something. I need to do one more thing. It's not going to take us very long at all. Piece of paper and pencil in front of you. If you don't have it, Here's what I want to do. Remember, here's what we're doing at, at Lake Sam now. We're taking Christianity from a passive listen thing to an active do thing. Okay? Now, here's what I want you to do. Take out the piece of paper. Do you guys all remember what one thing was at the beginning of the year? We talked about how what you do with a, with a, at the beginning of the year with making a resolution is you make resolutions. They don't end up turning into anything because, 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 Right? So we talked about how to beat that. So we're going to do that exercise right now. Pam, thank you for coming up and giving me a little background. But watch. Here we are. His one thing is going to take a minute. I want you to pray about it. We're going to be done in less than seven minutes. But I want you to just take a minute with this. Watch. Write down three to four top things that you might think make a real difference in you bearing fruit. We're going to go through those one to five steps right now. Okay. So write down two or three things. Like I say, three or four things. I need a piece of paper and pencil. I want to do it too. Okay, write down, write down three or four things, however many, that you think would make a real difference, okay, in this particular area. Do you guys need a piece of paper and pencil? Raise your hand if you need a piece of paper and pencil. Ushers, thank you for bringing them forward, okay? Now, even if you're still working on that, what I want you to do is the second step is cross out the things that you wrote down until you have what you think is the one thing that he's leading you to right now. What's the one thing of the three or four that you wrote down? What's the one? You can do this at home too, and you can go right onto our website. And it'll, 
It'll uh, be up there, Joe. Would you stick it back up so people can see the five things for the one thing? Now, this one you're going to have to do at home. I want you to take a few days to pray about this and ask the Lord, which one is he really leading you to do first? This is such a critical step. When we did this at the beginning of the year, this almost every single person I talked to, in fact, I can't remember one person I talked to that didn't say when I actually prayed to the Lord which one he thought was most important over a period of days, he changed it to something that wasn't what I had on my list. See what I mean? Okay, so pray about it for the next couple of days. And since we can't do that right now, I want to go to number four, and I want to use the one that you've got, and then you got to do this with the other one, right? You get it? In a couple of days when you get a new number one, then you got to still do the number step number four, which is ask the Holy Spirit to show you what stopped you from doing this in the past. This is, this is the moment right now. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to think about just evangelism. I want you to think about this one thing that he's bringing to your heart. God, why haven't I done this in the past? Ask him that question. And when you get any kind of an answer, write it down, okay? Okay, now step number five. What's the one little thing that you can do, the first thing that you can do to start doing this? Whatever that thing was, number four, that he told you about, what's the thing that you can start doing now? kind of in shock doing this exercise I uh, he gave me three things and the one that I ended up with was pray for the ones who don't know you pray for these certain ones that he's laid on my heart I know exactly who they are I thought I was but just as I was doing this exercise 
I asked him which was the top one. I didn't think I'd be the top one, and it was the top one. And then I asked him why. And he says, because you're not a faithful prayer. <laughs> I pray every day. I'm, I'm kind of wanting to cry right now. I'm a little disappointed. I'm shocked. But I know that it's true. I'm really faithful on certain aspects. And on other things, I don't do this. So then rather than just beat myself up and feel bad about it and go try and do it in the flesh, what isn't going to work, I asked him what he wants me to do. And he said, real simple, write their names down and put it right by where I work every day so that every day I'm seeing these people that I love and want more than life itself for them to come to the Lord. And I've got to tell you, that doesn't seem very hard. That doesn't seem like he's asked me to some, somehow go from wherever I am to huge difference. It seems like in a very loving way, he's guiding me into a place of care. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, your people come before you and we reach down and pick up this cup in front of us, in which is two cups really, but we pick up this cup in front of us and we say to you, uh, that parable does say 30, 60, and 100. And that's what we want to be. Even though, to be totally truthful about it, we don't want to actually be that. Some of us are just don't even really want that. But then just go to him with that too. But God, we just recognize that we're not actually who we think we are in you. We've got our nice little rose-colored glasses on, and we think we've got it pretty well laid out, and God, we're part of the problem. And we don't beat ourselves up about that. We just get real about it. And we don't try and fix it in our flesh. We come to the God who loves us and who's called us to it, who's got incredible ways for it to happen in our lives. And we say, God, we may have broke it, but you have fixed it. So take your finger and break that bread in there. On the cross, you've made us whole and healed us. Take this together, would you? And now in the spectacular name of Jesus Christ who has accomplished all things for us already on the cross. Every single thing that ever needed to be done for me to bear a thousandfold has already been done. And all I need to do is follow my loving Lord in the small steps he puts before me. I may make my plans, but thank God you direct my steps. So direct all our steps into the life you have for us. In Jesus' name, take this cup that that should be so. Ushers, thank you for coming forward. Church, thank you. And I challenge you to in all areas of your life be stepping out in fullness under Christ Jesus. And what it means, and part of that has to do with the tithe right so give your 10% and give it cheerfully and joyfully and richly and abundantly in Jesus holy and precious name God receive from our hands from our lives this incredible giving back of the of the much that you have given us God 
Make us no longer be American Christians. Let us become light of the world Christians. As we just begin to obey you in the spirit and then in the flesh, in all things. In Jesus' name. Everything.